So last week we sat together and talked a little bit about that. Is that where you're at, what you believe? Because things come at a great cost. Early in our marriage, we were called to ministry and we moved across the country and me being me decided to wash my hands and conveniently drop my wedding ring right into the sink. And had to figure out how to tear apart a sink for the first time. Because it wasn't the ring that was valued. It was the value of me wearing it that mattered. Last week we talked a lot about humility. David said, I'm not going to offer God anything that costs me nothing. So you've been bought at a great price. And this week we're going to look at something else. If you didn't know uh, this week was July 4th, the way you could tell that is that all your neighbors were exploding things in the air. They wanted you to know that rockets red glare and uh, all things going off. And I had a very strange July 4th. We, uh, early in the morning, I loaded up a whole bunch of stuff that we're using for the week ahead. I loaded into our church van, just all kinds of supplies, and I drove across to drop that off so we don't have to do that tomorrow morning. And as I was getting uh, loading stuff, I looked across and I saw somebody that was volunteering early on July 4th, just working in the preschool doing something. I thought, that's odd. It's July 4th. They should be out cooking something or blowing something up. And then as I forgot something at my house, which never happens, I don't forget anything, so this is a rare occasion, uh, I stopped by where, where we live, and I, I, pulled up, and I pulled up there, and there were dozens of people out by our care ministry over there uh, working to load in things so that other people could eat. I thought, that's a strange thing. It's July 4th. They should be preparing food for themselves, not for others. Then as I drove a block to leave, I saw uh, firemen and ambulance men out there washing their vehicles because they knew today is one of those days where you're going to be needed. They were washing their stuff and getting ready as people blew things up. They would probably need fire and ambulance. And I thought, this is strange. It's July 4th. As I drove about an hour away, I showed up at the church where we're going to volunteer, and I saw 30 people leaving this building. I thought, what are they doing here? Well, they realized that they were feeding people the next day, so they were there working. That's silly. It's July 4th. They should be out eating or preparing the charcoal. Then later that evening after I came back, my wife and I spent the entire evening talking to various people with various forms and various ideas to try and overcome a credit card scam that had taken two of our credit cards. So we spent the whole evening talking to people, trying to verify who we were and remember what we used to verify who we were. And I thought to myself, what's going on with all this freedom that we have in America? Why in the morning can I drive by dozens and dozens of people who are using the day to celebrate people, to celebrate freedom, to serve others in one category? And then less than 12 hours later, be battling with people who use their freedom to steal and to rob. The reason is, is that freedom doesn't just require humility, it requires responsibility. In a world where you can do everything, you have to choose whether you're going to serve yourself or serve someone else. And not choosing often leans you just into a category of serving yourself. 
We're going to read a passage of scripture that's from 2 Peter. It's the second letter that he wrote to believers, and he was trying to encourage them of things that he already saw. You may have this, where you saw something and somebody comes in and asks you, and you're like, oh, I've seen that before. I can tell young men when they go to get married, listen, I know you're stressed out about the ring. Don't take it off when you wash your hands. Well, why not? I knew a guy who dropped the ring down the sink. Did you? Yeah, he was a dummy. From my experience, I could share with them. Also, if you need to know how to tear apart a sink, I can show you that, young man. I can show you how to do that as well. And you'll find yourself where people are coming to you with advice, not because you're important, but because the Holy Spirit has a mark on you and says, you are mine, I now can use you. And Peter, after all his bravado from being a young guy, finally got this position, and now he's an older gentleman trying to write to the church and say, hey, learn something that you need to learn. And he gives this big learning curve to them. Let's stand together. We're going to read the first three verses and then just two verses later on. And we're going to stay in this section today and walk through this piece by piece. Let's read together from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For speaking of loud boasts of folly, verse 18 now, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is a slave. Let me pray. Father, there's so much in our lives that make noise around us. There's explosions everywhere. And there's so many things to celebrate. Help us to figure it out. What do we do with our day? Whom do we feed? Those things that make us feel good and move us forward or the things that provide freedom for others. Help us as we search your word today to discover what you would have us do so that you be glorified in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So an agent showed up on April 13th of last year at a 21-year-old um, Jack Texera's house. He was in his own house. He was in his mother's house. And his defense attorney said this. He didn't run away. He sat on his front porch and he was reading the Bible. Jack was being charged under the National Espionage Act after authorities found out that through his position in the National Guard, he had allegedly been sharing top-secret information on social media platforms through the video games he was playing. In fact, a section of the conversation with a player says this, Hey man, isn't this stuff classified? said one of the players. And Jack replied, Everything I've been telling people is up to this point is classified. LOL, haha. What makes someone do that? 
be entertained by sharing top secret information? What makes someone that immature that the treasure they've been entrusted to becomes a game to them? The things that risk other people's lives become something that's entertaining to them. Peter walks the church through this, and we're going to look at these first three verses really clearly, to say that this is nothing new. Scripture isn't sharing with you anything new except the gospel. That's new. But he says this in the first verse. Just like if you read your Old Testament, false prophets rose up among those people, he said, pay attention. There'll be false teachers that come up above you, and they'll secretly bring you destructive heresies. Now, heresy is a really churchy word. If you, if you get a YouTube video, it always has in capital letters, heresy. Heresy is just when you take Scripture and you turn it, and you're off by a hair, you see. Just by a hair, you see. Because Scripture says that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and someone comes to you and says, you don't need a Savior, you need a friend. It's off by a hair, you see. Scripture says Jesus died in the body according to, to, to the law, and a heresy says, yes, Jesus died in his spirit on the cross. Just off by a hair, you see. You always have people that do that to you because it's much easier to swallow truth if it's off by a little bit. The problem in your marriage is probably the other person, not you. The problem with your child can be ignored. The problem with your job is probably your boss or your employee, not you. Just off by a hair, you see. And we swallow it and swallow it and swallow it because it feels good to us. The second verse brings up another section. It says, many others will follow sensuality. Now, notice it doesn't say sexuality there. That's where the church gets prudish instead of wise. Not all things that feel good are related to sex. It's following sensuality. There are things that make you feel really... I bet you have a favorite praise song, and if we played it today, you would feel like God is closer than if we prayed, played a praise song you don't like. Because you're trapped by sensuality rather than by your Savior. By the way, I, I use that different terms in our first service than this service. So I'm going to hit you with verse that, stuff that's close to you. Because they bet you they have a favorite hymn. And when we play that favorite hymn, they feel like Jesus is closer. And if we play a hymn they don't like, they go, I don't think I can worship. Why? Because I don't like the song. Oh, did Jesus move? Did Jesus move? Are you here to feel good, or are you here to once a week kneel down in front of the Savior and praise him for who he is, not for who you are? I've seen people worship without opening their eyes or opening their mouths. I've seen people, while everyone's standing and singing this song, people kneel in a congregation and say, I'm not singing this song. I'm going to praise the Lord right now in my seat. I don't care what the people next to me think. I care what Jesus thinks. We fall into this same sensuality. If it feels good, if a teacher shares something up front that feels good to you, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. If it feels good, you feel like you're closer to Jesus and nothing could be further from the truth. They take Scripture and turn it by a hair, you see. They talk about what feels good rather than what actually transforms. And verse 3 shares the third thing. In their greed... They'll exploit you by lying. 
They'll exploit you just by lying just a little bit. Just false words. Just a word to get you so that you're dependent on them instead of on Jesus. So Peter, who had been through all this path and, pro- and saw it in the early church, is now writing back to people and saying, hey, I just want to warn you, these things are going to happen. They're not going to be a surprise. Grow up and know that you may spend the morning seeing people serving. You may spend the afternoon seeing families. By the way, that afternoon, I saw where I were over there serving. As I was driving along, we had to pick up paint that matched a caregiver's house that we were going to work on this week. Had to make sure it matched and buy that stuff and get it to the church all afternoon doing that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then as I drove around, I saw people of every nation Every generation, every color, every language, all having cookouts with the American flag just hanging above them. They were truly celebrating America. But that evening, I was dealing with people who used their freedom to see what they could get from everyone else. So this demands us to kind of think of some things. First off, if you get past the humility stage, you're like, I am saved by grace. I am not saved because I'm in a church, near a church, or tripped into a church. I am saved because Jesus did all the work, and he invited me in. So therefore, the guy next to me that is just as messed up as me has the right to be here as much as me. Then you move on to this next thing of responsibility, and freedom gives us a responsibility to remain alert. That's all Peter's saying. Not alarmed, not alarmed, not xenophobic that it's all going to fall in because I know who my Redeemer is and I know he holds everything together. So Peter says, this condemnation, it's not idle and it's not asleep. It's been going on forever and the church's main job is to not remain alarmed but to remain alert that then when they walk into a situation they're trying to figure is it it the gospel being shared or is it some other version of God being shared? I'm just alert. I'm not worried that the gospel that's not the gospel will prosper. No, it'll fall in on itself. You've seen over the years pastors that fall, ministries that fall. You see the end results of these things. But you're just alert enough to say, these things aren't asleep. They're not asleep. In about two weeks, we're going to go to Puerto Rico with some people that um, have never gone there before. Probably some of them have never been on a plane before. And one of my issues is I don't, I don't sleep very often. But when I get on a plane, I just turn everything off and go to sleep because it may be the first time I sleep for like a week, you know. And so I don't even watch the safety stuff because I assume we're all going to spaz and I've seen it all before, you know. And so I know I have to train myself in going with these young ladies who have committed themselves to, to be aware and alert that they may have needs going on a plane internationally for the first time. That I can't just go, hey, great, put my hoodie up and sunglasses on and earbuds in and go to sleep. Sometimes we're just caught sleeping in our own spiritual lives. Um, there's, a, there's a verse that, that kind of walking through this in the first letter Peter wrote to the church. And he says this in 1 Peter 2, chapter 16. Live as people that are free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. I'm free in Jesus. I can do whatever I want. 
Jesus saved me. I can do whatever I want. That's usually the selling point of leadership, by the way. When we ask people to come on board as deacons, we ask them to give up stuff. And then if we ask them to come on board as pastors, we ask them to give up more stuff. Not because they intrinsically need to give it up, but if they're unwilling to give up those small things to have more accountability and more leadership, we know they're not willing to give up the big things. And so oftentimes people will say, hey, I love what you're doing. I just can't give up that stuff to be a part of it. Ask anybody who served in ministry what they've given up for ministry. I, I had an hour and a half to visit my wife who was in Daytona last week because I have other ministry stuff to do. But we knew that ahead of time. We give up stuff because we know God does greater stuff. We don't use our freedom just to cover up, cover up stuff and say, well, I, I'm free in Jesus, therefore it doesn't matter what else I do. No, it critically matters. It critically matters because everybody looks at Christians and they say one thing that starts with H and it's not holy. It is hypocrite. It's the one word. It used to be holy. It used to be the Christians that started the hospitals, that went in and did the healing, that gave hope. Those used to be the H words with Christians. Now it's just hypocrite. Because we say one thing and we live another. It's always been around. you got to be alert. Not alarmed, but alert. The second thing that, that walks into what we kind of mentioned in that, in that second verse of it is that freedom has a responsibility to look beyond our own pleasure. Uh, and that's that, that verse 18 and also the second verse we shared before. They entice people by things that feel good. Things that feel good. If, if I can get you in with things that feel good, then I can take you away from things that don't feel good. You know what doesn't feel good? Humility, submission, service. You know what sometimes doesn't feel good? Kindness. Because comebacks feel really good. But what feels good is telling you that you're better than everyone else when in fact the gospel says... There's no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What feels good is to tell you, and I could build a church by telling people how special they are. It's very hard to build a church reminding people how sinful we can be. So you're alert, but you're also aware that you do a lot of stuff that just serves you. I'm not going to point out, but I bet some of you are in the same seats you sit in every week at church, correct? I'm not going to look. You know why? Because it just feels good. This is like a nice seat. This is my section. I like to sit here. It just feels good. I'm not asking you to change seats. That's going to empty the church. You know, Pastor Craig will come back next week and go, where did everybody go? What did you do? No. I'm not saying that, but eat, our habit is to find things that feel good. We're like, I like to look at the words from this angle. I like to be this far away so the pastor can't get in my face. Or, you know, I like to be up front. We were working with a church. It was a large church, and they're bringing thousands of people a week. And they found that in one community, the community was really obedient and submissive. So they'd start, the band would start, the volume would be astoundingly loud, and all this noise would come in. It'll be interesting to see if that happens this week at Passion Camp. But they led the people in. So if you were up in the front, you sat in the very front row. 
They just led you in, and they sat down. And they thought, God is blessing us. We have 10,000 people on our campus. Why are we holding this to ourselves? Let's plant people in the next county over. And that next county was all farmers and, and factory workers. And they tried one week to tell those people to sit in a seat where they were assigned. Uh, they had to plant a whole new church. They brought them in. They're like, this is your seat. And they're going, uh-uh, that's not my seat. I sit where I want. You're built to be comfortable. You're built to kind of say, I like to go to bed at this time, have a meal at this time. But you were called to be free and be away from those chains. Galatians chapter 5 says this. You were called to be free, brothers. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. Learn how to serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled by one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is a weird flip. <laughs> You're called to be free. Yes, I am. So I get to tell everybody else where they're wrong. And instead, it flips over. And he says, but use that to serve. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Freedom gives you responsibility to look beyond your own pleasure. It's really hard to do. It's a mark of discipleship. It's a growth point. But you've got to grow beyond just, did this make me feel good? To, did it change me? And sometimes you grow most by having to struggle with not feeling good. Not having that money in your wallet doesn't feel good, but that maybe the first time you had an honest prayer in years, you say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make this bill this month. Here's the last part. The last part is this, is that freedom has this responsibility to remain free. I know that sounds redundant, but there are a ton of believers who I meet who God may have their heart, but they definitely didn't tell their face that. Like the Lord may have their, their soul, but nothing in their body or their face protrudes any joy that would make me attracted to following you. It seems like they are thinking that they have to be on the cross in perpetuity and show people how painful life is in order for God to bless them. That if I am just grumpy and constantly telling people how the world is going down in a handbasket, that is the best way to share the gospel. I'm going to give you a hint. It's not. It's why people chase every other faith, because there's at least smiles on the faith of other people, where we think we're continually the saviors, so therefore we have to be angry about sin. Do you not think the Lord is way more angry at sin than you could ever be? You have the freedom to proclaim grace, and you might want to get about it. They promise them freedom, but they're slaves to something else. And whatever they're slaves to just keeps like, like something out, like throwing a piece of paper in water. It doesn't right away dissolve, but over time, it dissolves. And I've met so many Christians that they started out loving the Lord and the grace and the work that God did. And then over time, they bump into other Christians and tell them, you're not doing it right. 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 
And that joy becomes bitterness. Not you have to be holy and the Lord's building to make you holy, but work, 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 work for your salvation. And all the joy that was pouring out of them when they first started sharing the gospel and saying, you would not believe the freedom I have in Christ becomes, well, if you want to be, come down with me, I can share a story with you. And there's a few opportunities where people are down here and they want to meet with you. But most of the people may not understand why there's a difference in your life because they don't see a difference in your life. Sometimes what overcomes you is the fact that you're not actually free. You're knowledgeable. You know things about Jesus. You know things about the Bible. You know things, but there's no chains that have been broken in your life for a while. You haven't given God permission to break chains for quite a while. You've kept the key and said, God, I'll keep this because it allows me to protect myself from the world. I can't reach out really far. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. It is crazy to think that you have to stand firm and remind yourself that you are not the Savior. That you're not the instrument that's saving, you're the instrument that's just introducing the Savior. What a different weight in your life. Of saying, I'm a witness to the freer of sins. I'm not the person that has to fix everyone and free their sins. Then suddenly you become a light in a dark place. You become salt in a tasteless world. You become a difference maker and people are coming to you left and right and saying, I don't get it, I need help. We spent yesterday with uh, uh, people we love who don't know Jesus. We spent the whole day with them, love them, love what, what the gifts they bring, but they don't know Jesus. And then another couple joined us later in the day who do know Jesus. And as we're sitting there having dinner together, this one lady asked me some advice. She's about to get married, and she was talking about something. She leaned over and asked me, and my wife was like, you know, just talking to the, the other people, and then leans over and goes, hey, what are you talking about? And I said, well, she's asking it for advice from me. And my wife goes, why? Um, and I didn't take that too personally. Um, Um, it, it, I had to walk back later in the day what the conversation was. Because the, the why wasn't like, the why wasn't, why are they asking for advice? She's like, how'd you get to Hawaii? And why am I not going to Hawaii with you? But we had a whole 10-minute conversation before that about, hey, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this. And the image I used was that she's going to find when she married a, a different set of freedom, and she may end up on the holiday in Hawaii, and that's all my wife heard was Hawaii. We, like, what, why are you talking about Hawaii? When are we going to Hawaii? Why am I not included in going to Hawaii? <laughs> and, and what came out of that conversation was not only the conversation that my wife and I may be old, but that people were coming to us for advice. And you either give them advice that points them to freedom, or you give them more shackles. That's the truth. 
You are either somebody that says, hey, you know, this girl had a burden. It was an honest burden. And my whole job was to remind her as a believer, you know you have freedom from that, that God is bigger than that. I could have reminded her, you know, it's really your fault. And if you did A, B, and C, you'd find out that this is how it is. No, I, I didn't want to point to her. I didn't want to point to the people involved. I wanted to point to Jesus and say, you know, you have freedom from that. God may do a miracle in there if you give him space to do a miracle. Whatever traps you, you are enslaved to. As believers, it's our job to remain alert. It's our job to make sure we don't invest in just things that feel good. And I can tell you, judging people feels really good. It feels really good to look at somebody else and say, they're not doing it the way that God would want them to do it. Is that kind of stuff. All the things that Scripture teaches about that we don't talk about, like arrogance and pride and gluttony and envy and jealousy and gossip, those all feel good. Those all feel good. But they're not of the Spirit. We have a huge responsibility to say Jesus and Jesus only to everyone we meet. We don't sell church. We don't sell songs. We don't even sell lifestyle. Because as they run after Jesus, they start figuring out how to live like Jesus. We've forgotten we're free, and therefore we proclaim freedom. My hope is that we would see a church that is free, that just as I saw people from every nation, every generation, every color, every language, driving through just one city in Florida, throwing up the American flag and celebrating, that I'd see people from every nation, every color, every language, every generation, lifting up the name of Jesus. That would be victory. So as our worship team comes back up, we want to give you an opportunity to figure out where God may be calling you. Some of us are probably trapped in something. You always get trapped in something. You're like, I can't get, this thing is just bugging me. I can't get rid of it. I can't do it by my own strength. That's something to lay down. Um, some of us haven't been living like we're free for a long time now. We've been living like we're under rules that don't exist. Because the rule that exists is you wake up and you kneel before the king. And everything else from there is just direction. Everything else from there is he'll tell you to go left, he'll tell you to go right. And some of us, maybe, we forgot that we're supposed to proclaim that to people. That's what we're supposed to share. You know you can be free from this. You know you can be free. The only way to have that is to know who Jesus is in your life as a foundation not as a lesson plan, but as the person who rescued you when you were drowning. So we're going to lead in worship. Jimmy's going to come up front just so we have somebody up here to pray with you as we lead. We want to encourage you during this time of worship just to, if you have something to pray about, maybe today's the day you've got to say, I've got to give this over, and we'll gladly pray with you. 
Or maybe it's something you're going to do where you're seated. But we want to end today's worship by saying we don't need more facts. We don't need more uh, time. We don't need anything else but Jesus. Stand with us as we pray, please. Father, we thank you that you do great things. We'd ask now that you teach our heart this kind of a lifestyle. That we'd follow you and we'd admit this morning that we don't need more of anything but you. Thank you for Peter who through a lifetime of making big and loud mistakes figured out the things that matter most. That there's always going to be hurdles to jump over. That there's always going to be people that bring things that just a hair off. But you, Lord, are the same today and forever. Help us as we gather and as we leave to proclaim that. We need you in order to be free.